Welcome to the Media Business Podcast, brought to you by Media Business Insight, the publisher of Broadcast and Screen International. I'm Alice Redmond, a media researcher at Broadcast Commissioner Index, the platform delivering you upstate information about the programming needs of the UK and US commissioners. Today we're listening to a session from the Edinburgh TV Festival 2019, featuring ITV Director of Television Kevin Ligo. He reveals crime series Manhunt to be one of his favourite dramas of the year, and says he was especially proud of non-scripted show Harry's Heroes, which brought together nostalgic names of football while tackling issues of weight loss and mental health in an older generation of men, generally neglected by television. LIGO called out to producers to bring him daytime programme ideas to fill the slots left behind by the Jeremy Cole cancellation, and also took the opportunity to clear up any questions on his Britbox ambitions, which he sees as mainly leveraging the ITV and BBC archive. Let's start with what you consider to be your highs and lows of the last 12 months. Oh, heaven. Well, the rash has cleared up. <laughs> um, I, I would say the, the highs have been a number of really successful programmes, and as you said so kindly in your intro, the, um, the general performance of all our channels has been uh, really strong. I think um, we found a few... Uh, shows that have really worked that can return, which is the holy grail of our business. So that's uh, that's a great thing. Um, and you know, we'd have to we'd have to mention Love Island as being as it sort of popped yet again this year. So that's a, a hit everybody would like. Um, the lows, obviously, I'm sure get onto it were the whole Jeremy Kyle uh, experience. Um, and what are the lows? Can't think of any. Okay. Yeah. I'll maybe find one or two for Yeah, you. I bet there are. Yeah. Um, we'll come on to that tricky mid-morning slot and whether it's perfect for Holly and Phil um, in the fullness of time. But first, let's discuss the man who vacated <coughs> Jeremy Carl. This time last year, I was, I was re-watching what you said, and you said you were proud and delighted to have the Jeremy Carl show on your network. Do you still feel that way? Well, it's not on the network anymore. No. But, um, no, I, I think that the whole Jeremy Kyle... Uh, issue this year was one of those moments in TV that come along every decade or so. And um, it, it, there's two things, I think, together. There's the programme that had run every day for nearly 15 years and was incredibly successful and all the rest of it. And I remember there'd never been a complaint against Jeremy Carl upheld. The, there'd been 20,000 people come through it and appear on it and there hadn't been any issues. But what can happen in television is, is these long-running things that have been on forever, you can slightly forget about them because they, they're not a problem, they look after themselves, they get on with it, they're doing well, and you leave them alone. I think when um, the, the incident uh, of a death occurred, it was uh, a really serious moment and a, a sort of shock to everybody. Um, and that whole, it wasn't very long, it was a week at most or something when we had to deal with it, was um, uh, uh, a really difficult time for everybody because somebody had died. And what you get with these moments is, of course, you don't get a sort of clear picture all at once in, in one go. So information comes into you in drips and drabs over a day, over the next day, so, you know, I remember literally, it was, it was over a weekend and I got a call from a producer or, or someone and saying, we think somebody has died who was on the Jeremy Kyle show. And 
my first thing was, was oh, God, how, what is it? How did, was it on the show that went out? But they didn't know at that point. And then it was, no, 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 it didn't go out. They were in the studio last week, and it was right. So they were recorded last week, yes. Uh, but these, these, these bits of information come into you over the course of sort of 24 hours and bits and pieces. And, but what we felt very quickly was, if someone has died who's been on a show that recently, then the, the production team were very upset. So the people that had been involved in that item and everything were, of course, distraught. And so we immediately said, look, look let's stop production because everybody's terribly upset and we don't know, we haven't got the facts, we don't know what happened exactly and why it happened and the rest of it. Um, plus, on air, I thought, well, somebody's died, we don't know why yet. I think it's really odd to put the show on. Then a bit of information comes in that it was, that he failed his lie detector test. And you think, right, well, if that is a reason, then we need to, we need to be very careful about the lie detector test from now on. What? And of course, the lie detector test is in 75% of the programmes or something. So, so quickly, we decided, let's take it off for the week. Let's just take the program off for the week. And then, I don't know, you know, you, you, you come back and you look at these programmes and you, with this cold light on it, and you think, would, would we start a show like this today? Have you been reading my notes? Oh, no, sorry. Um, and I think you'd say no. You'd say... It's just, it was fine in the past, but today you wouldn't have something that was a conflict resolution show, but it wouldn't be so combative, um, at times apparently aggressive, things like that. Just what worked for over a decade suddenly looked a bit anachronistic. And so we quickly thought, you know, th this is the time to end this end this show. And that was a, it, it, it was a hard decision to follow through, but I don't, honestly, I don't think any of us thought it was the wrong decision at any moment, you know, once we got there. So I, I want to uh, dissect mm. a bit of that. Um, you said that it was just, you know, it was so successful. The ad revenue was amazing. A million viewers, the most successful yeah. programme for you on ITV daytime. Did you take your eye off the ball? What, in terms of its sort of production yeah. and stuff? I don't... I don't think so because it, you know, I don't even know how many episodes there were, but 15 years worth every day and repeated endlessly on ITV2 and it's on YouTube and it's all over the place. Um, you know, there, it had never sort of come up that there was a big issue. Lots of people didn't like that show, let's be clear, but they tended not to watch it. And those that did watch it in, in quite large numbers adored it and loved Jeremy and all that and got what the show was. Um, so, no, I don't think so. I think with hindsight, it would be easy to go, oh, we should have ended it two years ago, but life isn't like that. The lie detector um, was only something like 60% accurate. Right. Um, the uh, select committee uh, suggested that in the form of, the, of Damien Collins in charge, though, he was very highly critical of that and the lack of clarity of the effectiveness of lie detectors. Who should have been responsible for telling people taking part in the show that they weren't 99% accurate? I suppose the production. I think they would say, well, they did. I think they would have assumed that most people understood that the lie detector test wasn't 100% accurate. They didn't say 
what percentage it was accurate. It just wasn't 100%. It isn't used in courts of law or something like that. So It's only just over half percent, you know, 60%. But it's, it had been in most shows, there's always a disclaimer on air, nearly everybody who goes on the show is going on because they've seen it many, many times and they know it's not strictly true. But... So I don't think I don't think you can make it much clearer without saying we're not going to do it. I want to talk about the slot, as I said, in just a second. But, but let's just finish with with Jeremy. Um, what's next for him? Because the, the, there was speculation that he would be filling that slot. Right. No, I, d I doubt that it. That sense yes, he's not going to. Yeah, I, d I doubt I doubt he will fill. That. I think I can't imagine what we do. I've spoken to him about it, of course, and I think he feels as well that whatever he does next, it shouldn't be in that 9.30 slot. So we've got an ongoing commitment to the Kyle Files, which is his sort of Roger Cook-style journo thing that we do, which will be next year sometime. Um, and we are piloting something with him, and we'll just have to have a look, because he is a consummate broadcaster, and it, it, you know, it would be absolutely wrong to apportion any blame of the show against the presenter of it. You know, so we don't hold him in any um, sort of bad way. So we will look to find another show with him, but I think it's unlikely to go in the 9.30 slot. He refused to attend the select committee. Was that the right decision? Did you advise him not to go? It's, it's, it was totally his decision, and I think he, we, we, we sort of deliberately stayed a bit neutral as to whether he should or shouldn't, and he didn't want to do it, and, and I think he feels that was the right thing to do. Was it the right thing to do? For him. It's, it was his call, you know. And I think he thinks... Obviously, he, he had a dilemma about should he, shouldn't he. But then, in the, after the event, I think he thought, I'm, I'm glad I didn't, because I think it would have all been on him. He may not have known stuff. It was, it was probably the right decision for him. How has he been affected personally by what happened? Well, he was devastated and, and hounded by the press and... You know, for, I don't know, two weeks he had paparazzi climbing over his hedges and he had to keep his curtains drawn and, and he had to take his kids to school and they were chasing him down. All that, all that horrible stuff that happened. So he was really upset. He was obviously distraught that someone had died who had recently been on his show and he understood the decision. And, it, you know, in, in some ways, as well as all those hard-working people who worked on the show, for him suddenly overnight to have lost the job he'd been doing and lauded for for 15 years was a big, is a big jolt. Are you still in contact with him? Yeah. How is he enjoying daytime telly? Daytime telly? Mm. Um, I, don't, I haven't talked to him about daytime. I think he watches it and all the rest of it. If he'd watched this morning, he would have seen the extraordinary event of Richard Maidley talking to the big nasty, which... Uh, there are no words to explain what that was, but um, so he may have chuckled at that. But no, I think he's I think he's recurving his career. We've got lots of questions uh, coming in, um, not least about uh, news about Holly and Phil replacing Carl. Uh, are there no better daytime ideas? <laughs> is one of the questions. Um, <laughs> the there's a process. Uh, we asked producers and everybody to pitch for that. Slot, very important slot for us. Um, so it's we've not done very well so far, is it? I mean, it was well, a million repeats. viewers with him, and now it's like three hundred thousand. Six hundred now, actually. It, it, it Rinder's gone up to six hundred, but I, I think, um, but they're just repeats, obviously. So, so we asked for ideas. We've piloted a few things. There's still some to come in. Um, 
and will take a view. And one option is obviously, what if you extended GMB, bumped Lorraine a bit and brought this morning earlier? That would be in the mix of the decisions, yeah. I don't okay. know. Honestly, we haven't made the decision yet. Uh, we want to talk about that in more detail. Those were the headlines this morning. You weren't surprised by them, were you? Oh, it would be in Philip Schofield. Um, with a bumper this morning. Um, yes, they haven't done their maths because Jeremy Kind is an hour and that says they're going to start at 10. So we're dark, are we, between 9.30 and 10? Um, Maybe extend Lorraine? Extend Lorraine. There's a thought. Uh, <laughs> yes, we could do. I think... Yeah, well, all right. Well, that's what the mirror thinks. I, I know that apparently the, um, when we were focus grouping, because you have to focus group everything, what we should do, they tried this out on a focus group, and apparently that information has come from someone in the focus group. Who would have thought? <laughs> we want to talk about the brief and what, obviously, people in the room today will want to know what they are pitching for. But we did have a question uh, about Judge Rinder. Is this why we have that little noise? There we go. Uh, I got a text! <laughs> That's from Love Island, if people don't know. Um, and the question is, uh, judge Rinder, or comment, Judge Rinder is made by the same team as Kyle and with the same dubious casting and the added complication of contributors receiving money. Why is it still on? Why is it still on? Because it's... it's Surprisingly, not made that's by... anonymous. Anonymous, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's made by some of the same team. It comes out of um, Salford. But it, uh, because there's not an issue with that, we've uh, looked at all the processes, obviously, at the point of the Kyle thing, and it, it seems completely fine. So I don't think there's an issue. It's a very different sort of a show. But um, the Select Committee uh, Chair, Damien Collins, highly critical of the lack of clarity and also the effectiveness of, of the lie detectors. Also, he was highly critical of the way that um, Kyle was cast. If it is at least some of the same people on the Judge Rinder show, do you have, are you going to keep more of an eye on it? Yes, I think we all processes in all duty of care now has rightly been re-examined and tightened up and extended. So on, on all the programmes and producers and broadcasters, not just us, have all been um, checking our procedures and processes to make sure they're fine. Mm. Yeah. One of the questions that I'm, in fact, when I said that I was coming up to see you, and, I, and obviously people talk about Jeremy Carl, but they also say, why did you scrap Jeremy Carl so quickly after a run of uh, 14, 15 years, um, and yet have kept going with Love Island, where two of the contestants um, have died, and, and more than carrying on with it, you've, you've actually doubled the amount of time that it'll be on the channel on mm. ITV2. Well, I think, I don't think Lamar and Jeremy Kyle are the same in sort of any way. Um, and the, you know, the awful tragedies of people dying, this was two years after they'd appeared on the show, more or less. They'd done other shows, they'd gone on and lived their lives. I think, you know, all, all we know uh, about suicide is a very complex issue, and there's not one trigger that does it. And so I don't feel there is a direct connection uh, of, of enough significance to sort of cancel Love Island because somebody on it uh, has, has gone through a tragic experience. So I think they're very different. And, and the processes and the procedures and the screenings and all the rest of it and the aftercare on Love Island are very, very different. So I, I don't, honestly, I don't it wouldn't have occurred to me to cancel Love Island there. But it does come back to duty of care, doesn't it? Yeah. 
and uh, the channel and yes. not just the production company has a duty of care for the people that are basically just want to be f famous for 15 minutes and you are providing them with that opportunity yeah. but, but how much responsibility should you have as a channel for looking after them afterwards? I think we have and a, over what period yeah over what period is a tricky one I think we're absolutely responsible to look after them as far as we can uh, after but you know in selecting them in uh, how they're treated on the show and what happens on the show and then as they come out preparing them for the outside world it's a very knowing crowd that go into Love Island now you know this is series five or six whatever it is and people going into it are going into it because they've seen it and because they want to be part of that I don't honestly I think it's a bit wrong to say they just want 15 minutes of fame I think they're going into it because it looks like a lot of fun to be on a show like that and maybe something will come of it some of them have got a sort of career plan and good luck to them others are just happy-go-lucky this is going to be great and so uh, I, I think as long as we feel we are giving them all the support we possibly can from experts in mental health issues and all the rest of it and preparing them for the onslaught of social media that's going to happen uh, then we are looking after them as well as we can. But for how long after? Should... I've got a text! There's a text. Um, okay, let's have a quick look at what the text is. And it is going to come up on my screen in just a second. This is where, when I've worked in news for 30 years, I sort of fill until ah, it comes up. Well done. Okay, it was um, a question about duty of care extending to young junior members of freelance uh, crew as well as contributors. What are you doing about that? He worked for, or she worked for Carl for six months. Duty of care for people who work on the show. Mm -hmm. Well, we have a responsibility for them. I hope that the um, production team and their managers and whatever um, are there for them. We hope they are. Um, and I think if they've got a grievance, they should get in touch with the relevant person at the production team, you know, or the producer that was there. So we, we do need, of course we need, to, to look after them and, and uh, then there's a natural changeover of teams on shows so especially a long running show like that so um, I hope we've treated everybody properly but I don't know this instance no. just want to finish this section by just going back to that slot that has been vacated as a result of of Steve Diamond dying. Um, you've issued a brief for new replacement shows. Can you update on that is what I'm being asked by a lot of producers in the room, whether there's still an opportunity for the producers who are here yeah. to pitch or whether it's done? No, there is, there is always opportunity because the truth is too, if you pitch a show, I feel like I've neglected these people. If you mm. um, pitch a show for that slot, we, we might think, oh, I'm not sure for 9.30 or, or we've got a better one over here or whatever it is, but that show could absolutely go to two o'clock or three o'clock or something like that. So uh, no, for heaven's sake, don't ever think, mm, I suppose that slot's filled, I won't bother pitching my show. Because you might have exactly the show we want for any old time in, in, in the schedule. The other thing about the 9.30 slot is it doesn't have to be one show that sits there for 52 weeks of the year. That, you know, things evolve into that. And we'd always assume that if we were going to do a show, I think it would be quite uh, a, a big pressure on that show to start assuming it's going to run forever. So we're more likely to run something for a, a decent period of time, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, something like that, maybe longer, 
um, and then try another one. And over a course of two years, you might try two, three, four programs and then end up with just having two or something like that. So, yeah, I would never, never don't pitch because you think we might not want it. You, should we look at what has been successful on the channel? Yes, here? let's do that. <laughs> here we go. A bunch of staff over there, I suspect. Good. Oh. Did Piers win the BAFTA? The what? Did Piers win the BAFTA? Doubt it. I don't think he did. We don't, we don't, no. we don't do awards. No, no I'll lend him no. mine. No. Um, what was your, what was your, <laughs> what was your favourite? Um, show of the year. Yeah. Sort of, oh, God. Um, well... I personally loved, actually I thought Manhunt, which started this year, we stripped it over three nights, was mm. really, really well made drama. It's lovely to see Martin in something so good and showed Martin another Smith. side of him, you know, from Do the Doc Martin. Um, I loved um, Harry's Heroes. I thought it was, a, it was a, these are really difficult shows to make and there'll be a lot of factual producers here and I hope you're, you're both angry you didn't I loved it. the pitch you told me over breakfast the pitch for Harry's Heroes tell people how what happened oh the um yes it came in it was a really it started as a sort of weight loss idea and um the producers came in uh and they got out of their bag a pair of shorts a sort of silky pair of football shorts and they said these are John Barnes's shorts that he wore in 1992 in the Euros or whatever it was and <laughs> you see John now <laughs> and, you, and we're going to get him back in his shorts was the sort of, we thought this was funny and fun and would uh, tackle weight issues and all the rest of it. But the show then evolved in, in the making as they always do. Uh, and John got injured on day one of training and so he couldn't um, play. Um, and, and then what we ended up with was this extraordinarily affectionate profile of men of a certain age uh, who had been these enormous stars and their lives had changed. And the whole Paul Merson sort of confession of his mental illnesses. We'd known about this, but he was sitting there fishing with Robbie Fowler and um, uh, David Seaman, and you know, it was their response to it was extraordinary and affectionate and touching and, and opened up that subject for more debate and all the rest of it. So I did, I love that. I thought it was a super So show. take props with you if you're going to do a pitch. Yeah. Um, one of the um, suggestions is that, I'm going to just go with suggestions, is that ITV doesn't bring on new talent. You've got a fantastic stable of amazing talent, mm -hmm. you know, Anton Deck, um, Bradley sure. Walsh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Piers and Susanna. Um, but you don't go out of your way to bring on new talent. What would you no. say? I hate new talent. Um, <laughs> I think they have Me too. They have enough outlets elsewhere. Um, no, I think it isn't our primary function. I spent years in the old days running Channel 4 where it was all about new talent. And that's really exciting and fun and great and important. I think that what's happened is, you know, television's moved on. We do have a fantastic stable of on-screen uh, performers and uh, everything that's brilliant. Um, but we also, I would argue, particularly on the digital channels on ITV2, we do bring on people. And if you look at BBC One, it's quite interesting now how i think because i think they struggle a bit more with stars because they probably can't pay them enough is um uh you know they've got i think gary lineker's doing all right i you don't think, think he, uh, gary lineker i don't think he needs to gary's take in doing fine gary's doing fine the the um sport's always been a different thing yeah um so you see quite a lot of itv um performers now 
on the BBC as well, because I think they, on, on main channels, because I think they struggle to find new people. But look at the people that come out of Love Island. Look at, the, you know, people are coming through. You know, Jill Domit's doing, has done work on uh, IDV2, and now he's coming onto the main channel with a big show. So uh, I think we do do our, our fair share, but no, it's not our primary interest. And it's difficult, you know, if you're unknown virtually, come onto ITV for a great big Saturday night entertainment show, say, and it doesn't work. It can really damage your career as a young presenter. And so even when some people do say they want to do that, I, I, I sort of caution them against, you know, be careful. You know, it's a long game, this, and you can get burnt early on if you go down in a blaze of embarrassment uh, on ITV. So but you could try them out on that 9.30 slot, couldn't you? You could, we could, actually, yes. We could. Okay, right notes. Yeah. <laughs> Live sport, let's talk about that, should we? Yeah. Uh, Devoted Nation um, meant that everybody was turning in, uh, tuning in, I should say, for the World Cup, and the figures yeah. were great. Yeah. You benefited massively last summer as a result of that. Seven of the top 20 titles were football matches. What oh. does the next year look like, though, given that we don't have the World Cup? And you can't, you can't say the Rugby World Cup because I'm sure it doesn't have the same pull. No, rugby, though... Remember, we have the Rugby World Cup, which is this year exclusively. Mm. So, so 48 games, I thought of my head. They are in Japan, so you're going to get up early yeah. to watch them. But uh, we have high hopes and the coverage will be amazing. And we have, you know, more than just England in it. So I think it should be exciting for us. Next year, we have the Euros. So, uh, and a lot of the matches, it's, it's set in Europe, so they're in peak time. Quite a lot of the games are in the UK. The semi-finals and final are um, in, at Wembley. So I think that will really help next June or whenever it's on. So, um, yeah, sport, sport is really important because it, it you know, it's, at its heart, it's what ITV wants to do. It wants large audiences all at one go, this thing we call mass simultaneous reach, so important for advertisers, mm -hmm. but so important for you know, the brand of ITV and bringing families together and everybody watching TV at the same time and all that sort of thing. And, you know, you get the sport right, witness England, Croatia, and nothing is bigger than that. So um, sport, we will continue to be in sport in as big a way as we can afford. I want to talk about digital competitions in just a second, but just a shout out for my mate, Julie Etchingham, who was amazing in the yeah. leaders' debate. She absolutely yeah, she nailed it. Um, it's not a ratings winner compared to stuff like Corrie, but how important is it to have that sort of stuff on the channel? Oh, it's, it's, it's really important. Otherwise, one of our challenges is if, you know, I bet, I'm not going to say turn the lights up, but if I ask people here, how many people here watch Emmerdale or Corrie all the time? Virtually none. And the problem with working people, so if you assume they're not watching daytime, if you don't watch the soaps on ITV, ITV's a bit closed until nine o'clock. You don't actually consider it because you're not into Corrie and Emmerdale. And so telling you what's on, getting at you to come and watch ITV, you'll subconsciously, weekends aside for a moment, talk about what's on the nine, what dramas have they got, and what big factual things. So when we do The Full Monty, or we do Harry's Heroes, or something like that, or the odd you know, brilliant show like Gordon, Gino and Fred that do bring in a whole bunch of people that aren't just the regular ITV viewers. Um, it's great. So we can never give up on that. 
and we're constantly seeking to extend the range of who watches. Let me just pick you up on Emmerdale and Corrie. I know you're a big fan of Corrie. You've grown up with Corrie. I mean, it, it, the, the ratings winners for you, they make a lot of money for you, but isn't it the over 55s equivalent of, of plonking a toddler in front of a cartoon? Um, oh, somebody was going to clap. Yeah, uh, uh, I'd, I've never plonked a toddler in front of a cartoon. Well, I have. I, have you? Does it yeah. work? Does it work? Yeah, it does. Well, there we are, you yeah. see? That's it then. No, I think. But is it a reasonable comparison? No. You'd be amazed how many young people watch Coronation Street and Emmerdale. It has probably, you know, a higher proportion of 1634s watching that show than most others. So, because when an audience is 7 million or whatever, there's a lot of everybody watching. But they are regular watchers, is my point. And that you've got them. And for advertisers, you know, they can hammer these people and it's a really useful thing for certain brands. But um, we need to get at everybody. So, yes, slightly younger, male, southern uh, audiences are harder for us to reach, which is why sport's so important, why drama's important. But at the weekends, with our great array of successful entertainment shows, we do, we do hit the parts that the weekdays often don't, don't okay. hit. Let's talk about digital competitors, as I said, that acronym FANGS that I keep hearing about. Um, 13.3 million, I'm going to quote some figures out, 13.3 million of UK households have signed up to paid TV services. That's risen from 11.2 million in 2017, pretty impressive. Um, broadcasters like iPlayer and your own hub as well, of course, uh, haven't budged, it would appear. They are struggling to keep pace with these fangs. Why do you think that is? I think, remember that an extraordinary amount of television that's viewed is still live and from terrestrial television. Is that true? Yeah, honestly, it's still, I wish I could remember the figure, but it's like 82% is still live on the night, honestly. And people in the industry sometimes get a little bit obsessed with television in the sense that everybody watches lots and just about everybody watches lots and lots of television. But it doesn't mean it's the most important thing in their lives. A lot of people, after a hard day's work or whatever it is, plonk themselves down and go, what's on tonight? So the and overnights are still really important. Yeah, they're really important. And, and anyone, it's only people who aren't getting good overnights say they're not important. Um, and so I can proudly say they're terribly important at the moment. No, they are. They're a, and they're, even if they're going down, they're still a really good uh, indication of how popular a programme is, how many people are going to watch it. So with dramas more and more, you see the overnights have generally gone down. I mean, I bet five years ago, if Charlotte or I were um, asked, what do you think drama's going to get? We wouldn't have thought on an overnight rating they'd be, you know, four, four million plus now is quite good because the catch-up is huge now. We've just tried... Our first, the BBC have, have done this before because it's easier for them because they don't have to earn a living. But the, um, <laughs> the, the, the Deep Water, which is a good drama, I recommend it's on the, on the hub if you want to watch it all in one go, um, is the first drama we've put episode one out on the main channel and then made it all available on the hub. And we were very curious. We're really as an experiment to see what happens. And sure enough, a much larger number than normal um, went ahead and over the week between episode one and two have watched 
two, three, four, five, six episodes. Mm. Um, this then comes off your overnight figure. And so the, it went from 3.9 to 2.9, and we thought, oh no, what's going to happen? Is this a disaster? And then you look to see how many people had watched it before it went out, if you sort of mean. Yeah. And um, it was well over a million. And so actually it's fine. Our challenge is how do we make money out of those people if they're watching it um, on a service where there aren't any ads? Uh, and that's our dilemma. You set up BritBox for five ninety nine a yeah. month. No, we, we, BritBox is a, is, is, is a different thing and a wonderful thing. You're not going to put it, new content on there? There will be some new content, but I think, I think with the... Look. In which case, why would I pay five ninety nine a month to watch BritBox with repeats of Poirot that I can watch on ITV3? Yeah, because there's, there's a lot more to it than repeats of Poirot, marvellous though they are. Um, I, you know, this is going to have... BritBox is many things. BritBox is us looking for a new revenue stream that doesn't um, cannibalise advertising revenue, that isn't just... Um, off the back of the success of our studios business and our, our global production business, which is doing well. But, you know, everyone knows that advertising is challenged and, and an uncertain future. I wouldn't say... I mean, people have been saying it's an uncertain future for as long as I've been telling. But, but you know, there's no doubt it's, it's challenged. And so BritBox is about subscription television. We all know that viewers and ourselves, it's lovely to watch shows on those streaming services. You know, you choose what you want, when you want, how you want, you stay up late, watch all the episodes, whatever you want. And that form of viewing, without advertising, is really pleasurable. And so we want to be in that business as well, because we just want to be where the audiences are. So that's partly why we're doing it. Um, it won't, we don't believe, cannibalise our own service. It is not obviously a rival to Netflix and Amazon, who spend billions and billions. This is a way of... And soon to be Comcast. And Yes. So, to, um, to use the archive of the BBC and ITV, all the research that we did and, and investigations and common sense would tell you, British people are mostly interested in British programming. And though Netflix and Amazon are wonderful things, they don't do very much British programming at all. Um, they took. They say they will. We haven't seen any yet. Let's wait. Um, but this will be full of yes, famous old shows from the past, from yeah. both the BBC and ITV archives. But you know, as stuff, there's so much to watch now, and your availability to watch hasn't increased so much. You still essentially watch television in the evenings between you know six and eleven. If you think of what you haven't watched, take a successful drama that gets five, six million viewers, that means 40 million people haven't seen it. And I've, I've always, how many times I say, it's so frustrating when you make a really good show, drama or not drama, and people don't come, they don't watch it. You think, if I just could tie these people to a radiator and make them watch it, <laughs> it would be, um, I know they'd enjoy it and they'd stick with it. And so when there's this plethora of choice, uh, it's harder and harder to get people. So one of the things that will be is, the word of mouth about, oh, did you see that show? No, I didn't, I was out, I missed it, whatever. Well, it'll always be there on BritBox, you know, until the day we die. So, I, I... Oh, oh. Guys, I've got a text! <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a commissioning question, actually. Is ITV still biased towards commissioning ITV companies? No, they, ITV companies are dead to me. 
I've never liked them. Um, they've got more than enough work from the network. So, um, the, no, of course, we're, we're still uh, whorish about any ideas we want. So, um, I would honestly plead that we feel we don't get enough ideas pitched from anybody, I don't mind who they're from. Um, and that, um, remember, we're regulated, we have to, uh, we have to buy, uh, spend 25% of our money as a minimum on independent production anyway, it's quite a lot of money. And so I would uh, encourage everybody to hit our commissioning team regularly with ideas. What is it, what, what makes an, uh, an idea feel ITV? I think you, you've got to um, ask yourself as a producer, what would I really watch this tonight on ITV when you come in? I think we're learning that the bigger, brasher, noisier um, the concept, the idea is, the more chance it has got of working. I think the, all the teams are very amenable to helping mould the show once it comes in. Very few shows come in, here it is, yes, tick, go away, make it, give us the tape, we put it out. So it's a sort of either an agonisingly painful battle with producers as they make it, or a great collaborative process to make a better show. And we, um, yeah, I, I, you know, we, we need, we need so many shows that can return. And so the holy grail, as I said earlier, is to find shows, particularly factual shows at a price as well, that can come back. And that's why things like Gordon, Gino and Fred are so important. And you look around at other channels and there's not much that you'd say, oh, I wish we had that, I wish we could do that, you know, because they're so difficult to find now. Um, but, but have you found it in the Masked Singer? Let's have a look. Um, <laughs> yes, they get Latoya Jackson and Donny Osmond. We'll probably have Sue Pollard and Christopher Biggins, but <laughs> it will, uh, no, we'll, we'll um, it, look, it's, it is another singing show. So you know, some nervousness about that, but there seems to be no end for the appetite for that. But I think it will be sufficiently different from The Voice and the X Factions over, and it's just a riotous bit of fun. In the but haven't we had enough of those singing shows? Another question just come in. X Factor has surely had its day. The ratings slump year on year. It's on four months of the year on ITV. Isn't it time to bin it off and yeah. let others... Is that Simon chance? Cowell on it again? <laughs> yeah. um, no, I think there's an endless appetite for these shows if you get them right and if they complement one another. So um, I think it will be fun. It, it will be a big camp fest of... Uh, who is it? Who is it behind that mask? And the reveal, the challenge for the production company and us is that when the reveal comes, you don't go, who the fuck is that? <laughs> so the, you know, we've got, we've got to up the level of casting. You don't mind now. There are so many celebrity-based shows. You don't mind. You kind of go with it in the jungle or something. As long as you've got three, four, five people you know, you don't mind if there's some somebody off a reality show you didn't watch or whatever. Um, but uh, no, I, I, we've got. Um, high hopes for the masking. I think it'd be fun. So if not shiny floor telly, what else should people be pitching for as far as entertainment is concerned? I think entertainment, we, we do, we, we're endless. The thing we pitch more than anything else are game shows, um, which are fine, but we have loads and a lot of successful ones. And Tipping Point and The Chase are in the top ten, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're huge, they're huge um, which is great. You know, God, imagine life without them. So that's good. We're doing, we're doing a sort of 
game show mashup with Alan Carr, and I suppose... Never heard of him. Oh, yeah, I have. What? My point is that it's somebody else who's very famous. Yes, never been on ITV, okay. curiously. Still not, I'm not sure he's been on BBC One. No, but I like the fact that he's famous. Anyway, he's good and funny. So he's doing a sort of classic um, number of game shows in a row, kind of take your pick and bullseye and um, strike it lucky and stuff and camping it up, and that should be fun. So I, we are quite well served in game shows, so I would just caution people slightly about quizzes and games. You know the difference between a quiz and a game? No, Kevin, what is it? It's um, you stand up for a game and sit down for a quiz. Ah, there you go. Nearly. Do you know the difference between unlawful and illegal? Um, I've, I've never touched her. One of them's a, <laughs> yeah. One of them's a sick bird. Um, let's talk about drama. Uh, hugely, <laughs> hugely important. Talk us through your strategy on drama. Drama, yeah, terribly important for us, and we do a lot of it. So we do as much as we can afford, is the truth of drama. Um, we've had great success, really, with, uh, lately, with Polly and her team. Um, as, you, as you saw in the clip, I think the, for new dramas, four of the top five or something of the last year have all been on ITV. And again here, it's impact. It's um, ideally you want it to be a returning series. You want to get everything in one go. You want large, or the most important thing for us is a big audience, it, it really is. And occasionally we make shows that we really like and they don't get a big audience and it's meh, never mind, onwards. Um, a big audience means you're gonna come back. Um, so we do, you know, crime, crime which, within crime, it's a big genre, you know, from uh, true crime through to gentle poirots and, and endeavours and shows like this that do well for us. It's not, it's not, and it's quite a curious thing in the industry, people don't talk about, I don't know, Vera or the BBC Murder in Paradise or for us um, Endeavour and Doc Martin, shows like that. These are almost the biggest shows on television, but people don't talk, they all talk about curious, interesting, good little small shows that do jolly well on BBC Two or something. And I watch all those as well, because I'm a viewer. But I think for us, we've uh, ploughed a furrow and got a team led, if you like, by Jeff Pope, who do true crime stories really, really well now, really sensitively. It's fascinating. The, the tension is heightened by the fact that you know this happened, if it's some... Um, tragic story of murder or, or revenge or whatever it is. And we've got one coming up called um, A Confession that Jeff Pope's written, um, starring Martin Freeman and Imelda Staunton. And it launches in a next week or something. And it's, um, it's really good. And I would encourage everybody to watch it. We've got a clip, I think. Yes, we do. Yeah, there we go. Taking my job. Yeah. No, it's a tremendous piece of work. And it's lovely to have Martin Freeman and Imelda on, on the channel in a big drama. So. I think that I think we have a number of these true crime things coming through. We had great success in the past with Little Boy Blue and shows. And actually, way back, ITV in the old Granada days had a great tradition of this with Hillsborough and yeah. all sorts of great true fact-based dramas. Um, and they've just been brought to a new level now, so that's important. You want a range in your drama. You don't just want, you know, a murder and crime and all the rest of it. And so it's why other shows are important for us to have have that range. We have to canter on. Um, right. 
make room for Sorry if I'm boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jerry Springer yeah. wants to sit here, and I'm sure you want, want to sit here with him shortly. Or maybe you will. That would make good. Sit here Jerry, with... Jerry Springer. Oh, Jerry Springer. Oh, God, no, I've got a history. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk about factual entertainment quickly then. Um, what opportunities are there for producers as far as factual entertainment is concerned? Well, we've touched on it. I think there is probably more opportunity in the factual and, uh, zone than anything else because. As everything gets more expensive to make, as I have to pay Holly more money, um, there is there are uh, you know money's tighter all the time, and factual programming can be made at a price uh, that you know is great. So I think it's the could be formatted. Doesn't have to be formatted. I'm slightly tired, honestly, as our viewers it would appear of another show that has you know a bunch of. B-rate celebrities and they're going to go off to Mykonos and look at their feet or something. And so I, I don't, you know, beware. I'm not saying, of course, the next big hit will be the Mykonos <laughs> foot show. But, um, uh, but I think, you, you know, what are our successes? Long Lost Family, as I said, Gordon, Gino and Fred. The, these, I, I think, real emotion, gen, sort of genuine emotion like you get in Long Lost Family or unadulterated fun... Um, intelligently, beautifully made is is what we're after, and we really feel we don't get enough of these pitched. So, please hit Sue Murphy and her team and Kate and people with those shows because that's what we're desperate for, and I think audiences are. Yeah. At home with the Furious, does that fit that criteria? Let's have a look. So, big fat gypsy wedding 2.0. Um, I think it's just about the extraordinary phenomenon that is Tyson Fury and his wider family and he's, he's given us incredible access to film all parts of his life and, and everything and no holds barred and all the rest of it and we will, it'll be a lot of fun, it'll be oh my god, it'll be fascinating because he is so articulate talking about his mental health issues and his, when he put on all that weight and what it's like being champion of the world and all the rest of it. So yes, that, I mean access to somebody that we haven't seen very much of, is the truth, um, and yet everybody knows who he is, is a fascinating thing. Making of those programmes is really difficult. You know, you don't just sort of stick a couple of cameras in them and hope it's all good. So, um, uh, yeah, we've got high hopes for At Home with the Furies. Um, ITV Digital, let's talk about that. We've talked a lot about the main channel, but of course the portfolio for you is much yeah. bigger than that. Um, these are some of the shows that we are, are going to be seeing on ITV Digital. <laughs> Uh, biggest on ITV2, you, yeah. you're taking that to two series a year. Uh, people in the room, what do they need to uh, pitch for um, ITV2? I think ITV, and who's the audience? The, the audience is very, very focused on our digital channels. And for ITV2, it is young people, 1634s, 1624s. You know, it is now the biggest um, channel other than BBC One and ITV for just volume of 1634s. So, you know, it used to be sort of E4's preserve. It's much bigger than that now. It's bigger than Channel 4 for young viewers, which is extraordinary. And some of that is Love Island, and a lot of that is um, American cartoons that we stick in front of young people. Um, uh, but there's more to it than that. And I think it's been so well handled over the last few years on its being on message, on brand of this is a place to come for um, funny... Uh, proper comedies, American comedies, British comedies, and uh, reality shows. Obviously, with Love Island being the, the great, you know, beacon. So it's 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 really successful at the moment. 
Uh, we're out of time, but I just want to ask you finally, which, thank goodness he says, which show on ITV, or, or which show on the BBC rather, or on Sky would you have liked to have seen on ITV but it got away? Uh, um, that, well, I'd probably t I'll take um, Strictly Come Dancing for the ratings. Um, take the one show, because it's obviously one of the greatest pieces of television ever made. <laughs> um, I would say, uh, I think the standout drama actually this year was Chernobyl. I, I don't know that it would have worked had it been on ITV. And I bet if it were pitched, we would have gone, what? a nuclear power station in Russia full of Russians without a cast we've heard of, more or less. Um, ooh, I don't think so. So, and maybe we would have been wrong or right, but if anyone hasn't seen it, you should see it. It's a, it's a super drama. So, personally, I thought that was the, the best drama I've seen of late. Yeah. We're out of time. Are we good? There we go. <laughs> there we go. Kevin Ligo, thank you very much. No, thank you. Thank you very much. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with another edition of the Media Business Podcast in a few weeks' time. So hit subscribe in your podcast app of choice and tell your colleagues to give us a listen. Remember, you can catch up with all episodes of the Media Business Podcast at broadcastnow.co.uk. Enjoy the rest of your day.